Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know you're in the right place. Today's buzz, think back to your childhood days. Simon says, what in the world is she talking about? Let's get started. Cybercrime. It's one of the greatest threats facing our country and the world. And here in the U.S., it has enormous implications for our national security, our economic prosperity, and public safety. I think I hit three real, real hotspots for all of us, three buzz points. The range of threats and the challenges they present for law enforcement expand just as rapidly as the technology evolves, meaning... Are we going to keep up with the bad guys and the bad girls? I don't know. They're tech savvy, and we're still trying to catch up. And guess what? This information comes from the U.S. Justice Department website, OMG. So the question on the table, as always, is how can we defend against, how can you, as a business owner, as a business leader, as somebody who wants to start a business, how can you defend against, or we can dream, can't we, eliminate cybercrime attacks altogether? Well, we think we have have a better idea than what's been going on so far. How about if we focus on a two-pronged resolution? Let's look at the consumer-focused side, and then let's look at the corporate and government-focused side. That's what my panel of experts is going to talk about today. So let's get started. And guess what? This is a part two. We're calling this episode Fighting Cybercrime, Staying One Giant Step Ahead. Now you know why I started with Simon Says, Take One Giant Step. Here we go. First up, I'm so pleased to welcome back Tim Best. He is a director in EY's EMEA Advisory Services Practice, Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. That's why he's here. Tim has sent me a marvelous quote from what's popularly known as the Tears in the Rain monologue, also known as the C, letter C, C C-beam speech by Roy Batty, played by actor Rutger Hauer in Blade Runner. Yes, 1982 fantasy drama. I won't get into too much more, but it was directed by Ridley Scott and part of the Blade Runner film series. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but the film was adapted from the the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I love that one too. Here's the quote Tim has selected. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser gates. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Time to die. Oh, Tim Best, I hope I did it justice. How are you, Tim? Um, very good, Bonnie. Good morning to you. Good morning. Tim, did I do justice to the quote? Are you proud of me? I think you... I am very proud of you. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies, and um, I thought quite a, quit, uh, quite a fitting quote for this morning. Exactly. So tell me, what what part of it? Is it the tears in the rain? Is it time to die? I certainly hope not. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Why don't you take it apart and break it down for us? Yeah, sure. Um, So, I mean, firstly, it's a fantastic movie looking at the future, okay? And it it paints quite a a dowdy vision of the future, quite a scary vision. But many of the things that we're seeing 
happen with technology and the physical world coming together. So um, it's not just computers, it's computers in things. So trains and planes and cranes and, and cars in particular, vehicles. And, you know, we've seen things that you wouldn't believe. I mean, it, you know, we're looking at the security around physical objects, physical things, and we see some amazing stuff out there. Um, and then also it speaks to me for the fact that um, this, the logical world or the, the world on the, in the cloud and on the Internet, is only, it, it can be lost in time. We don't look after it. We don't look after the information. We don't look after communication channels. Then in all those moments will be lost. Okay? And mm-hmm. the, the, the criminals out there, the fraudsters, the bad guys, they're so innovative, so um, ingenious with their, the ways of attacking that this is the reference to, I, I've seen things that you wouldn't believe. So, um, and I wonder if you know, Bonnie, the, the actor, um, Rudger Hauer, who's sort of this monologue at the end of the movie, this, this mm-hmm. is, um, the sort of tears in rain, it's called, monologue. Right. Um, he, actually, he actually wrote himself the day before. So it's completely off script. It's something that he came up with, uh, which I think I- certainly adds to it even more. I did know that. Let me read you what I discovered. It says, The final form, altered from the scripted lines and improvised by Rutger Hauer on the evening of the filming, has entered popular culture as perhaps, and I quote, the most moving death soliloquy in cinematic history and is often quoted as a piece of science fiction writing. Yes, I did my homework, and uh, that was quite quite an interesting... He he made history, basically. I have a feeling, Tim Best, that uh, some of the best lines we see in here in movies are slightly tweaked, improvised, uh, given some heart and emotion by the actor just before they go on screen. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And you can interpret this so many different ways. Well, thank you, Tim Best. Great start to our topic. And thank you for introducing me to Tears and Rain. As I mentioned, it's also called the C-Letter C-Beam Speech by Roy Batty. So let's talk to our second panelist. We're also welcoming back Richard McCammon, the CEO at Delego Software. And Richard is uh, waxing poetic, or classic, should I say. He has brought us a quote from William Shakespeare. And apparently the dates of Shakespeare's life are a little bit in question but we know that he was baptized on April 26, 1564, so we have that birthday coming up. And the quote is from The Tempest, Act 1, Scene 2, which is believed to have been written by Shakespeare in 1610 to 1611. And interestingly enough, The Tempest is thought to be the last play that Shakespeare wrote alone. Aha! Maybe he went into collaborative mode after that. So here is the quote, (laughs) very interesting, Hell is empty. And all the devils are here. Richard McCammon. Ooh, what a dramatic quote. How are you, Richard? I'm doing well today, thanks. Thanks so, for yeah, joining I mean, us. Talk it, to me. I, I found that a very interesting quote, and I thought it was uh, you know, quite uh, indicative of the topics we've been talking about you know, in our last session and even in previous ones that, uh, that I've had the honor of attending. You know, the, uh, the whole concept that uh, the, the fraudsters are taking over, they're... they're becoming more numerous, they're becoming more uh, uh, ubiquitous in a lot of cases. Now we're talking about rather than the uh, financial services industry that we started with uh, some time ago, talking about healthcare, automotive. It seems like the, uh, the devils are, are coming at us. They're coming at us from everywhere. 
And where are they? Are they all over the world? Are they hiding in basements anymore, Richard? Are they hiding in, in a little cyber cafes? Are they cooking up plots to confound you and me and all the people listening around the world? Where exactly are they? Is Are they in their own type of hell? Or do they think they're in heaven because they are winning in many cases? Where are they? Well, they're everywhere. Um, and unfortunately, what seems to be happening is that they, they're no longer the, um, the typical teenager sitting in the, in, the, in the basement that you spoke of. Um, these are becoming uh, government entities. And we'll talk a little bit further on, hopefully, during the show. But we're seeing governments getting involved in espionage, uh, government-to-government espionage. We're seeing corporations getting involved in corporate-to-corporate espionage. This this has moved completely outside of the realm of just hackers. This has become almost professions for people. We've we've seen evidence of that as as the Chinese government goes out and hacks the uh, the U.S. government, the Canadian sadly the Canadian government going after the Brazilian government assets. So it's it's not just the individuals that uh, are trying to reap benefits, you know, direct benefits by identity theft or by theft of credit cards or by uh, pulling down information so that they can glean it together to, to scam a mortgage, this is becoming serious fraud and serious intervention, even at the government-to-government level. Very interesting. By the way, Richard, did you happen to see the new movie yet with Helen Mirren and the late, recently late Alan Rickman? Uh, the name of the movie is Eye in the Sky? I haven't, No. It's a drone movie, and it's it's interestingly enough a. Uh, a I've read that it's a farce. I saw the second half of it because, anyway, the movie schedule changed, and by the time I arrived, the, the, the theater said to me, yeah, our schedule was wrong. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, very interesting about the decisions that have to be made about drone strikes at various levels of government when an international plan has been hatched and multiple countries are involved in a military and political decision, and they actually have a drone eye on a house in Nairobi, Kenya where two suicide bombers are suiting up and a British spy apparently they've been tracking for four years is present in the house and she's the kill target and there were children playing outside. I rest my case. Interesting. But the farce is who has to get involved in making the final decision? Is it a mechanical military decision? Is it in the best interest of how many countries' security? Is it a best interest of politics? Who doesn't want to get caught if an innocent collateral damage happens? Whose country will get blamed for that strike? Very interesting. Just reminded me of what you're talking about, that a lot of governments are involved right now. So it it expands the topic and maybe the blame game, too. Uh, Excuse my movie reference, but I'd say see it. Don't take it too seriously, though. Thank you very much, Richard. And let's welcome our third panelist, end of movie review time, Justin Somany. Welcome back. Justin heads the SAP Global Security Unit in the board area of SAP Products and Innovation. And Justin is taking us in a completely different direction. He is quoting Lily Tomlin. And by the way, this is a wonderful quote, very popular, very appropriate for us today, written by Jane Wagner for Lily's Broadway Act. And the quote is simply, Sometimes I worry about being a success in a mediocre world. Justin Somany, how have you been? I've been doing fantastic. I'm glad. Thank well, you. how are you feel about being a success in a mediocre world, Justin? Oh, I worry about it every day. You know, <laughs> I, I think when we look at, um, you know, the space of security from a vendor, a practitioner, a uh, government, 
we, we, we tend to lend ourselves to baselining what we're doing against our peers. And unfortunately, I think that if we take as a norm that we're all working forward to solve a problem, baselining ourselves on what we do and how we do it against our peers is probably not the best way of going about doing it. So we really need to focus on what is the problem and how do we solve the problem uh, and lead to a great extent uh, in solving that problem versus kind of tallying and, and pulling the course of norms uh, that the industry is doing or others. So I love the quote. I thought it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek and, and, and appropriate for how we see ourselves solving the problems that we face with today. Tell me something, uh, Justin, in the world of cybercrime, whether as Richard McCammon and DeLego pointed out, the, the cyber criminals or the cyber, let me just call it the cyber act perpetrators. Let's, can we broaden it if you don't mind? Um, mm. Do they, they don't feel they're mediocre. They feel they're, they're cutting edge. They're ahead of the game. They're doing something that hasn't been done before for the good of what? The people or the government or science or global warming or uh, getting rid of uh, criminals or the really bad, bad guys and bad girls. Do you think there's any thought that they are, that the rest of the world is mediocre and they're going to be a success because they're so smart? Any thoughts about their mentality? Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard. There's, there's a lot of different groups within the, uh, the adversary, whether it's nation-state, activists, uh, criminal gangs, or otherwise. I, I think there's a subcomponent of them that we see in uh, more of the hacktivist area um, and absolutely in other areas where we see in the normal um, physical world where that belief system of doing the greater good, but maybe going about it a different way, um, is very much prominent in their motivation. And breaking into a company and defacing a website or stealing data and, and posting it publicly, uh, whether it's uh, Snowden issues or, or, or otherwise, I think there's absolutely a, a subset of individuals that we face with maliciously that mm-hmm. feel that it's a higher calling. Uh, if you will. And I, I think that goes into a lot of what we deal with um, in a greater sense, which is not just technology, but ideology. And how do we focus on the ideology um, that can affect us physically as well as cyber? Very well put. That's what I was in my own convoluted way, caffeine fueled this morning. That's what I was going for. And and perhaps Justin, we need to ask Lily Tomlin or give to give us permission. I'll I'll let her give you permission uh, to change the quote to, "I spend my days and nights thinking about how I can be a success in a mediocre world." How's that? It sounds fantastic, but of course, I would <laughs> never want to uh, usurp the power and genius of Lily <laughs> I know. Jane, Jane Wagner might come out kicking and screaming, and, uh, you know, she might strike, smite you down. So we will, it's just between us, Justin. Nobody else has to know that I said <laughs> Absolutely. That. Just be, I know you'll protect me. Thank you. Great start to our topic. We're going to take a little bit of a sideline here, a little, a little getting to know you segment called What's in Your Cup Today. Tim Best, I know you're calling from the U.K. Why don't you tell us where, if you'd like to divulge that to the world? Oh, it's just us. And uh, what time of day is it and are you drinking anything interesting right now or what do you plan for later tim best yeah sure so uh when i'm in the uk um although i work in sweden so i'm actually on vacation in the uk 
Um, and I happen to be in the southeast of England. I'm in Sussex at the moment. And as you know, England is a, is a great nation of, of tea drinkers. Mm. Um, it's also drink a lot of coffee as well. Um, and I'm drinking tea. I'm actually drinking, um, believe it or not, Lapsang Souchong in my cup this afternoon. Um, and uh, I find it quite a refreshing, smoky, smoky taste. And as I've been on vacation, I've been cycling this morning uh, with my boys. Mm. Uh, I just got home, had a shower, now having tea and speaking to you guys. So uh, that's what I'm doing. Well, we're going to thank you for having that shower, and we hope you had a good day cycling with your boys. That sounds very interesting. <laughs> thank you very much for the information, and uh, let's move on to Richard McCammon. Richard, I know. Sorry, Tim. Richard, I know you're in the U.S. today. Where are you? What time is it? And what are you drinking that's interesting at Delego Software? Well, I'm in. Uh, I'm at our home office in Canada, so uh, my London, uh, not the one that uh, would come to most people's minds, and. Um, although I've got a, a glass of water sitting beside me to keep my, you know, my throat in perfect shape for this show, uh, mm-hmm. tonight I think I'll, I'll stretch out to a gin and tonic. Now, you know, I've been on a number of these shows, and I think your listeners will probably be thinking that I'm, I'm actually an alcoholic. I'm not. But uh, the, the, the alcoholic drinks seem to have quite a, uh, an interest uh, for flavor for me. And today it's going to be a gin and tonic, as I say, but it's going to be a Canadian gin made from organic juniper as well as uh, botanicals. And it's all made up in uh, the Toronto distillery, uh, so just down the road from me here. And, of course, uh, the only reason I'm breaking into the gin and tonics is we're finally beginning to see a, a hint of spring outside, and so I have to start building up my quinine resistance for the uh, the malaria attack this summer. <laughs> oh, I wish you guys had a sense of humor. It would be so much more fun if you did. Oh, thank you very much, Richard. We would never call you anything you don't want to be called. And Canadian gin and tonic sounds wonderful. Thank you very much. I think you could save a picture for me, and I'll I'll fly up and join you in your London. Thank you very much, Justin. So many. Where are you today? And what are you drinking that's interesting? I am in the lovely and sunny Palo Alto office today, and uh, I had a very late night and a very early morning, so I am going high-octane coffee, and I'm just now feeling a kick-in, so uh, it's a pretty excited. I, I think it can fend off any sort of disease that might hit me at this particular point, so I'm, I'm feeling like it can take on the world. <laughs> Tell me something, Justin. Is there a name to your high-octane coffee? Uh, I don't know. I just look at the guy that's serving me coffee, and I just keep rotating my fingers saying, add more caffeine. So, Well, that's good to know. I, I usually, as you all know, I usually, uh, well, they actually don't let me officially have anything with caffeine on radio show days, but I grab for a little pod of some kind of espresso from my Nespresso lineup of pods in the cabinet, and I think I grabbed the one that was full caffeine. Now, I know espresso has only 30% as much caffeine as regular coffee, but for me, that's a heck of a hit, and I'm flying, so I'm really, really enjoying the bright sunshine here in New York and very much enjoying my conversation so far with Tim Best at EY, with Richard McCammon at DeLego Software, and of course with Justin Somani at SAP. I am Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to be after the break. We are talking about a very, very serious topic, fighting cyber crime. This is part two. This panel was so good, I invited them back. And our topic today is staying one giant step ahead. And I think we owe a shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP, who's on, I think he's on vacation still in 
the U.S. Shout out to Brad if you're listening. And to uh, Brad helped us with this topic, this version of it. And I think uh, Richard did as well. And a shout out also to Estelle Lagorse at SAP and all the wonderful people at EY and Peggy Gallier at SAP, everybody who helped us put this panel together. And I know a lot of you are listening. Remember, if you're tweeting, join me at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Can't make it any more simple than that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dive even deeper, take that proverbial giant step ahead into our topic, fighting cybercrime. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. J-E, my Justin engineer, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Are back fighting cyber crime. All four of us here on the show. Tim Best at EY calling in from the UK on vacation after morning cycling with his boys. Richard McCammon in his own version of London and Ontario, Canada, and Justin Salomani on the West Coast at SAP. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham here as the anchor in New York on Long Island. Beautiful sunny day. And now it's time to dig deep and take our giant step forward into fighting cyber crime. Tim Best, I'm looking at your notes that you sent me before the show and here's an interesting place I think we'll start you say cyber security now I said cyber security so we're already talking about a solution not cyber crime cyber security must get closer to the business strategic influence let me read one line here and then you can run with it cyber security functions located within IT will most likely be too focused on the needs of IT rather than those of the business as a whole that is a Big statement, Tim Best. That is important. So why don't you tell us more, and then we will invite Richard and Justin to add their POV. Go ahead, Tim. Certainly. Thanks, Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so from our Global Information Security Survey, um, which we conduct every year, this is, this is one of the findings. And given that uh, we mentioned in, uh, earlier on in this, uh, in this broadcast that um, – Computers are no longer limited to, to laptops and desktops. And if you think back even further ago, we talk about client-server architecture. All of that is, is gone, and we're really carrying around the Internet and the cloud in our pockets. 
and we're driving in these vehicles with connectivity. And this statement is, is really about that the cybersecurity industry, if you like, which comes from the IT industry, okay, needs to get close to the business. It needs to understand the direction that the organizations are going in. Um, they can't simply focus on the back office systems, the traditional IT systems, if you like, so CRM and, and other um, sort of office-based back office systems. They need to get out there in the businesses because in the businesses of organizations, this is where the innovation is happening. This is where the new products and services. This is where the new um, big data analytics, um, internet um, applications or mobile phone applications are being used by new users. All of those are being invented and, and created by the innovation departments, by the R&D departments, even by marketing and sales in organizations. And if, if, if our colleagues of the, um, the, the IT security or the chief information security officer is too focused on the back office systems, then they're going to simply not be in a position to be able to protect the business. Hmm. Let's get Richard McCammon's thoughts on this. You agree or disagree? What's your observation? I completely agree. The, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, and we've seen this in a lot of different areas, is the, the, when you concentrate strictly on the back office elements of it, it certainly they're a, a key component of anything, but what we, we have to start doing is, is changing people's mindsets to think security all the time. And it's not just mm -hmm. the, the IT specialists, but it's everybody. Um, we've seen it in other areas, the simple, the simple fact that people aren't using uh, secure passwords. Uh, we've talked about it before where the, the most common password is password. Um, it's rivaled by uh, others that are uh, completely uh, ridiculous as well. So we need to get everybody focused on security because they're the ones that ultimately become the, 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 the weakest points in the chain, uh, that the, and the vectors are going to go after those particular weak points. So unless, we, if, unless everybody in the, in the chain of, of data handling, in the security elements, in the, authentic, the authentication, authorization sections of it all, Unless we're dealing with all of those elements, we're going to open up and leave holes uh, for, uh, for malicious attacks. Very interesting. That's a, a very bold statement, and I'm surprised that we still need to say that. Richard, do you think there are still companies where they even allow people? And, and that's a double-edged question, because if passwords are supposed to be secure and private, how do you know that people are using the word password or my password for their password? Is this still happening seriously, Richard? I get it all the time. Uh, I'd ask, you know, I'll ask for a, uh, a password reset, and the first thing I get is init1234 or password123 as the initial password, and uh, it, it's, it's still continuing rather than – it just hasn't hit the mindsets of people right now. Now, admittedly, I'm supposed to change that password once I get it, and, and there are rules quite often enforced for me to change that password, but the fact of the matter is for that short length of time, you know, anything from hours to days, that password is in effect. Wow. Justin Somani, have to get your POV on this. We're talking about whether IT is looking in the mirror at itself or in the whole business, and what are companies doing with everyone in terms of everyone's role in cybersecurity today? Justin? Yeah, there's obviously a lot of challenges in order to meet the threats uh, through security. 
One of the challenges is really how do we change the culture of a company to one that really includes security in it. And the challenge going back to uh, a bit of, you know, the security team itself, but one, really an education on what is a business, what is a go-to-market, uh, what is the sales funnel, what are the various aspects and how the business truly operates versus the technology that is possibly supporting it. Um, that enables the security team to really translate the language of security as well as, uh, into the language of the business, as well as identify other areas on how do we manage the business processes versus, again, just the technology uh, subsystems. But we also see quite significant change at this particular point in our industry where we've had a massive influx of security professionals. Um, so there's a bit of education on the basic theories of security that need to be relearned. Uh, how do we need to apply security conceptually so that we're getting full coverage to really make sure that we're getting all of the systems and processes and culture change in the company? Because without all of that, we're always going to have those gaps and holes that was previously spoken. Um, and, of course, what we're seeing right now, the scale of data, the scale of systems adds a yet another complexity. So really leading in new areas of that security theory being applied into deep, large data, large-scale systems automation is probably one of the few areas that we see uh, being implemented across the globe. But optimistically, it's, it's actually getting a lot of steam uh, versus the ad hoc and manual processes of old. Thank you very much, Justin. I'm going to circle this back quickly to Tim Best at EY. Tim, any comments on what your colleagues on the panel have shared before I move on to a new topic? Tim? Yeah, I agree with what's been said. Um, there is an additional complication, of course, um, with the Internet of Things. So um, we're all familiar with that term, I guess, but it means that we're, we're, uh, the, the Internet is, as I mentioned before, not confided to, to um, personal computers. It's out there in the world. And many of these physical things, let's just say the vehicle, for example, has been developed with safety in mind. Um, the IT systems that go into it, okay, and provide that connectivity to the cloud, to the Internet, is, is um, designed with um, cybersecurity in mind, but not safety. So it's when you bring the physical world and the logical world together, you know, one developed by engineers, one developed by software developers, they speak different languages. And the, the whole, we all need to move forward and actually start to agree um, new cybersecurity standards that cover both safety and uh, cybersecurity, traditional, uh, traditional cybersecurity. Thank you very much. Interesting sideline there. Maybe we'll get more into that later. Thank you, Tim. I'm looking at notes from Richard McCammon. Richard, let's let's delve a little bit more into how businesses are running today, how they're trying to simplify. That's such an important word, get rid of complexity. And I think a lot of companies are adopting or adapting what we call centralization. And your comment here in your notes is the problem with centralization is the vast amount of information that can be hacked. And you made a comment here. You said U.S. government hacks stole fingerprints of 5.6 million 
federal employees. Wow. Lots of records where the Guardian reported theft of these records on September 23rd, 2015, and uh, a certain government is suspected. You can mention it if you want to. So talk to me. Centralization. Are we going down the garden path to opening a bigger door for cyber crime, cyber theft, cyber criminals? Richard, what's your observation? Well, my thinking along this is, is as we get into more and more big data, in order to to satisfy those needs of the big data, we have to have access to those data. And what that implies is uh, centralization of the data, or even if we decentralize, it means that we still have to have access to it. So if we put things up in the cloud, or rather when we put things up in the cloud, we have to understand what the implications of having all of those data centrally located. because. What is now the treasure trove of the uh, of the data is is easier to get at because in in the past you know, when we had things like paper records that were in a filing cabinet, it could take a long time to get into a filing cabinet and particularly if we take a look at health records for instance they 'd be distributed across all of Ontario, all of Canada, all of the u s uh, in doctors' offices specifically, but as we get more and more, and we centralize those records, and we we create those records electronically, now it's a lot easier to get at, and and so our boundaries, uh, where it might have been a locked filing cabinet before, and uh, we'd have to go to every doctor's office to get the information we're looking at. Once I get past the barriers to get into those big data. The, the treasure is now much, much bigger. And so we look at things like the hack that happened and in, in, uh, that you introduced in the, uh, at the top there was the 5.6 million records and specifically fingerprints that were hacked uh, apparently by the, the Chinese government against the U.S. And those, those were against security records that one wouldn't want out there. These were fingerprints of people who had uh, national security elements to them. So right down to the spies that are trying to operate independently and uh, in, in markets where they probably don't want to be identified. And now there are fingerprints out there. And as a colleague identified, you know, the, pointed out to me even just this morning. The problem we've got with some of the biometrics that we're using is that I can't change a fingerprint anymore. It used to be that if, if I wanted to, uh, again, go to the financial area, if I wanted to uh, change my credit card number, I could do that. I'd just get the bank to send me a new card. I'd destroy the old card, and suddenly the theft uh, is, is devalued in a lot of ways. But now that someone's got my fingerprint, uh, that fingerprint, I can't change it. And so I'm stuck with living with that breach for the rest of my life. Yeah, interesting. I, I Just a side note before I bring Justin Somini in. I think on a, a recent episode of Rizzoli and Isles, if anybody watches that on uh, one of the cable channels, uh, it's Angie Harmon and uh, Sasha Alexander's series. Very interesting, you know, drama and police work and all that good stuff and bad people. Uh, they needed to get into somebody's biometric password. The person was deceased, and one of the people in the lab, I hope this doesn't upset anybody. I don't know. You might need that drink sooner. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Mr. McCammon, you might need that gin and tonic now. They lifted the skin off the finger of the deceased person, and they needed a, a pulse behind it, and they put this carefully lifted skin over a, human, a living person, the lab guy's finger, so that he had a pulse in his index finger, and he was able to put his finger on whatever button was using biometrics and access the password to get into whatever system. It was just an interesting talking about uh, fingerprints being with you for life, and they can be with you for after after you're no longer alive, I guess. A little creepy, but an interesting side note there, I thought. Justin Somany, talk to us. You agree or disagree in comments on what Richard said about centralization issues for cybersecurity? What are your thoughts? Um, I, I take a different view. Uh, I absolutely see it um, in a different light and, and respectfully disagree. We've been living in a, a, a very problematic IT, distributed IT client server model where content transactions have been spread out over workstations, servers, and the list goes on, which is fundamentally flawed in our ability to apply any real security model to it. And so we've been effectively band-aiding security once we got off the mainframe and into this client server model. What the cloud really starts to introduce is really that recentralization. Um, and so that recentralization gives us the opportunity to once again drive that visibility, drive those control layers that we've expected and always wanted from a theoretical standpoint, uh, back in the mainframe eras and back into uh, reality. Um, but the problem that we have, whether it's OPM or otherwise, and a lot of the compromises actually transcends the use of technology, centralized or distributed. And if you look at the OPM situation, those issues have been known for a long, long time, but the governance and focus for remediation or attention to fix those problems um, were evidently outstanding or lacking. Um, so we have that problem in any company. Uh, whether it's uh, managing known servers and workstations uh, or in a cloud model. And so the, really uh, the ability operationally and governance-wise to really manage security appropriately, and going back to the earlier point, bringing security into the business versus it being regulated or regimented down into a, you know, IT function is really the main core flaw that we have in the industry. And what I've seen over the past let's say, uh, five years, since the security conversation is more of a public conversation, it's forced the conversation from customer to buyer, uh, sorry, customer to seller, and having that conversation at a business level, which is forcing companies to go internally, the CEO, the board, et cetera, and say, wait a minute, what are we doing? How are we doing it? And I need visibility and accountability for it versus just pushing it down and saying, I've got other things to deal with. And so I, I take a different view um, in, in regards to what are some of the, the fundamental issues that we have to deal with. And I see a lot of power and a lot of value in that centralization um, because I've been living with and dealing with in the industry uh, the problems of that decentralized model. 
Thank you, Justin. We love this uh, respectful disagreement because that's what makes for a really good and lively conversation. Richard, before I go back to you for a possible rebuttal or challenge back to Justin, if you want, I really would like to get Tim Bass at EY into the conversation. Tim, I'm not asking you to take sides. Just give us your POV. <laughs> Centralization, is it cybersecurity friendly or not? A good idea, bad idea? With whom do you more agree or tell me your third party view? I'm going to sit on the fence on this one, I think. I'm going to, ah. I'm going to agree with Richard. <laughs> That's okay. Um, That's the third party on. view. That's the third POV. So go ahead. Tell me more. <laughs> I mean, with regard to the, the biometrics being stolen and or being compromised, and you're then you're stuck with your fingerprint or your voice pattern or your, or your iris pad or whatever, that's a really good point. Um, I would say multi-factor authentication is perhaps the answer. So not just taking one factor, but taking multiple things. So what's something that you know, something that you have, um, so maybe a physical device or a card or something that you are as a, as a biometric, one, one type of biometric or another. And I guess if one becomes compromised, then we should have the facility to be able to swap in something else. So if my fingerprint is compromised, the system's no longer asking me for a fingerprint, it's asking me for something else instead. Okay, one of the other factors. And multi-factor provides us with that ability to be flexible in approach and, and overcome the, um, if, if, if one particular biometric has been compromised. Um, I also feel as if I can quote Kahauer again and say I've seen things that you wouldn't uh, wouldn't believe because um, you know when we when we talk to clients um, the conversations are on on cybersecurity the conversations generally the questions that we ask start with what is it you're trying to protect and most mm -hmm. clients say well uh, my business and they say yeah but so specifically then what is it that your business relies on to be able to run properly. And they say, well, okay, our, our customer data is really important to us. Ah, right, great. So we need to protect the customer data. They say, yep, absolutely. And then you, then you say to, to them, so exactly where is your customer data? And they say, well, uh, ah, um, well, it's with a third party, actually. So we've got it hosted by a third party and they look after it for us. Okay, so great. So um, where do they store it? I don't know. So, you know, for us, it we, we, we refer to it as, as the crown jewels, sort of understanding where the data in an organization resides. You can then understand the criticality of that data, and then you can put appropriate measures around it. Um, so it all starts with that, with that data. And um, whether it's centralized or dispersed, I agree with Justin, it doesn't really make any difference. It's understanding what it is you're trying to protect is the important thing. Okay, Richard McCammon, I have to put you back in the, it became a hot seat very quickly. What do you say? We've got one sort of kind of on the fence, maybe not quite. We've got one <laughs> opposed to centralization being an issue. What do you see, Richard? Any uh, any comebacks to either one of your co-panelists? Yeah, I, I detected in Tim's uh, sitting on the fence, he's actually leaning one direction. But yeah. the the bottom line, I think, isn't so much the uh, the, the directions that, we can, and the controls that we can put in place. I mean, history has indicated that a lot of companies aren't putting those controls in place that we would expect. And I think that's my bigger concern is that we're, we're putting uh, all of our, as I referred to, all of our treasure, the crown jewels, as Tim mentioned, in one location, and we're putting a lot more of those 
in, in that one location. So not only are we putting the diamonds, but we're putting the rubies and the sapphires there as well. And so when somebody does get through, they're getting a lot more of the treasure than we we would have expected. And unfortunately, uh, you know, in the sense that I do agree with uh, with Justin in that we can put better controls in the, when the when we do have the centralization. The fact of the matter is, we're not. If you go out and take a look at the uh, the breaches that have been happening in the financial area. You take a look at the, some of the statistics that are out there about the audits that are happening in the healthcare industry. The healthcare industry being so far behind anything else in the marketplace, utilities and financials, they score very, very low on on the uh, security aspects. The, the problem I've got by centralizing isn't the fact that we can put better controls in place. I completely agree we can. The fact of the matter is we're not. Justin, thoughts on that before I move into another topic? Love to hear your POV on what Richard just shared. Yeah, I, I, I think we're speaking of the same thing. Uh, there's a very big difference between our opportunity for better security through centralization and or centralization of content, but do we actually act upon it, which is a very different topic and quite honestly is the topic and problem. Having a good base for the house that centralization, um, and then being able to execute on it uh, are really the two separate issues I, I think we, 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 we should talk about. Having said that, I mean, the reality, and we, there's a lot of issues here with healthcare and financials. Financials, historically, has really invested a lot more in the security problem than maybe other verticals, uh, such as healthcare, um, which really lends itself, whether it's on-premise, the problem with security teams is that they're not managing one application. They're managing thousands of them. And their ability to focus and drive uh, proper security capabilities, defendable applications and the business logic of the application, um, make sure that standards as well as technical for two-factor authentication, centralization of IDs, and the list goes on, um, is very, very challenging. What the power of centralization, and let me be more specific, it's not centralization of on-premise because, quite honestly, that complexity that a lot of companies face has lended itself for a very porous environment. Insert BYOD just really makes it a lot more challenging. But when we do centralization in a cloud environment, that cloud provider is really driving one singular application highly tuning that application from the network level, the application level, the infrastructure level, and really driven by the demands of the customer to really implement and drive strong authentication, advanced uh, security into that, um, than what individuals or organizations are able to do on-premise. And so I think there's a lot of power. The real question is, do people really execute or take advantage of that power of centralization to really advance our security, or at least get it back to what it used to be, um, to really fend off these advanced attacks that we're seeing. Mm, thank you. I'm going to just open this quickly to Tim or Richard. Any comments back to Justin? Uh, Tim, any thoughts? Um, I don't know, really. Um, I, I, it's the challenge will be in the future is um, is is identifying things that that. that there's a multiple things out there. So it's, it's the internet of things introduces 
um, new levels of complication around authentication and authorization that we can only really imagine today. And traditional models for identifying and authenticating um, individuals, um, when those individuals are things and those things are identifying each other, we need to develop new trust models. Um, and I, that's you know, one area that I'm, that I'm currently looking at is, is these new, um, new ways of developing trust between, between things, effectively, and using trust to authenticate and, and authorize, um, authorize devices. Thank you. Very interesting. Richard, any quick comments? I want to cover one more topic area before we go into predictions, which is coming up in about two minutes uh, with Justin Somany. So, Richard, any quick comments on what Tim just added? Well, I, I think Tim's right in the sense that uh, authentication uh, is going to be a very big part of it. Uh, we also have to distinguish between uh, authentication and authorization, the, uh, and I think even Justin hinted at those as well, is that as we go through and we start looking at the authentication rules, then we also have to tie to that the authorization levels because particularly when we're dealing with healthcare records, we have to make sure that even though I've been authenticated that I get the correct records because I, I may not have to have all of the records that I'm going to achieve. So one of the things we're going to be looking at uh, certainly over the next few years is, is distinguishing between authentication and authorization. Thank you very much. Justin Somania, I'm going to ask you a favor. We're just about, actually, we're in the predictions round, but before we do, and I'll cut it back to about 30 seconds apiece. In my opening, Justin, I said we were going to talk about a two-pronged resolution for cybersecurity, fighting cybercrime. I said consumer-focused. I think we've addressed that. And then corporate and government-focused. We've talked about corporate-focused, a little bit about government. Is there anything else you want to add, Justin, from your point of view on, on this two-pronged approach? Yeah, I think from a government standpoint, um, a lot of work needs to be done. And we started to see that work out of the U.S. and China with norms on cyber warfare. Uh, we're also seeing that on a privacy front as, you know, the GDPR it starts becoming a law in the EU uh, in 2018. Mm -hmm. We're seeing advancements, but there's so much more. And there's a lot of countries that have technology that can enable an attack platform uh, for any country around the globe or any organization around the globe, not necessarily a nation state, um, that aren't participating. And so this goes into MLATs or, or multilateral agreements for law enforcement to be able to engage in those countries and do takedowns is probably, in my opinion, one of the most significant things globally at an international relations level that we need to drive if we are going to uh, really take this issue at a global level and take down the malicious actors that are attacking us any around the globe. Thank you very much. You know what, Justin, if you don't mind, I'm going to consider that your prediction. Are you comfortable with that? Well, my prediction is that until we do that, <laughs> we will continue to have a significant problem. Absolutely. You know what I'm going to predict? I'm going to predict, before I quickly get to Tim and to Richard for their predictions, I'm going to predict we have a lot more to talk about, and I'm going to predict that right after this show, I'm going to send the three of you an invitation to come back for part three. I think we've got a good cadence going here. The three of you are really good together in terms of everybody not saying, I agree, I agree, I agree, for the entire conversation, <laughs> and it makes it very provocative. Uh, would you all be, I'm going to make you commit right now, Richard, Tim, Justin, would everybody be willing to come back for part three? in uh, maybe May or June? Everybody say yes. Yeah, count me in. 
Okay. Absolutely. One caveat. I think we should do it in the afternoon to enable a little bit of drinking that I keep hearing everybody else do. <laughs> so that this is our regular spot. You're an argument. Ju- this is our regular spot. You're just going to have to start drinking a little bit earlier. I think that was Justin. Tim Be- Tim Best, drink up. Drink up. We'll get you a long straw. Tim Best, please, predictions. I can give you one minute. Anything left on the table for you to predict? I know we've been looking a lot into the future on our topic already, but what do you predict uh, for next time? What, what will we be talking about next time? Tim Best. I think we're going to see um, a continuation of cybersecurity and safety standards developing jointly. So previously, um, we have separate standards for cybersecurity and with separate standards for the safety of things, vehicles, for example. And I think we're going to start to see standards coming together to, to, um, to address the both safety and confidentiality, integrity, and availability of data associated with the with the Internet of Things. That's going to be my prediction for the for the show today, Bonnie. Thank you very much. I like it brief and to the point. I didn't even have to say sixty seconds. I don't think I said that. Richard McCammon, what do you predict? Well, I'm, I'm going to continue on the thread that I think that we're not doing enough in the healthcare industry to actually uh, put the controls in place that we need to be putting in place. So as a result, we're, what we're ending up with is, is security elements that are less than they should be. So my prediction in the next two years even is that we're going to see a lot more breaches in the healthcare industry, and it will probably eclipse it from the financial areas, uh, financial and utility sections, because the uh, uh, we're not putting enough emphasis on there. And unfortunately, until the breaches start happening, I don't think we'll get the wake-up call uh, at the executive level for things to actually begin to happen. Well, it's time for us to make them wake up. It absolutely is just in so many. I can give you uh, 30 seconds if you want to have one quick wrap-up prediction, a real one. Anything else you want to say, Justin? I predict that we are uh, going to constantly have this problem, and I can't wait to work with the individuals around the globe to face it. Wonderful. Good thoughts. Thank you so much. Tim Best, always a pleasure. Richard McCammon, what can I say? You've been on other panels with me about cybersecurity. I think we finally found a great home for you with these other two. Justin, so many thanks for the deep thoughts and energy to everyone. Shout out to all the people I thank. Peggy Gallier, thanks for getting us in touch with Justin and all the wonderful people at EY, Aparna, and other people. Thank you for being with us. Um, yes, to, to work with Tim Best and Richard McCammon, a standalone the Lego software. Appreciate it. Hello and shout out to Justin, the engineer and the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow with a new episode of, let's see, it's Thursday. Oh, I think we're on Meet the Visionaries with Game Changers, something like that. One of our four series. It's Thursday. What can I tell you? Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Like my panelists today, go out and be a game changer right now. Don't wait. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.